During Jesus' ministry, he spoke a lot about the Sabbath. And he was frequently criticized because his disciples plucked grain on the Sabbath or for healing the ill during the Sabbath. Pharisees like to claim that he didn't take the Lord's day seriously. But the truth is that Jesus took the practice of Sabbath more seriously than any of those legalistic religious authorities could have comprehended. The Jewish practice of Sabbath, wherein one does not do any work whatsoever, whether that be cooking or driving or in stricter observances, even pushing a button, is a practice which celebrates life. So in Luke, for example, Jesus heals a woman with a bent back on the Sabbath. And when the religious authorities question him, he responds, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? You see, Jesus knew that the Sabbath was for celebrating life and enacting justice. And it wasn't contrary to Jewish teaching, not in his time and not today, but was deeply grounded in Jewish teaching. We're about to hear a text from the prophet Isaiah, a text with Jesus quoted often throughout the Gospels. This text shaped Jesus' own ideas about the Sabbath, about justice, and about love. It was the context from which he understood his own acts of healing on those Sabbath days. And for us as Christians, I believe that we can better understand how we can follow Jesus by learning the texts that he himself regarded as holy. So today, I invite you to hear this text from Isaiah and consider how it might be relevant to us today, to where we need healing in our society. I especially invite you to consider what the Sabbath may have to do with justice and healing for the earth. A reading from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9 through 14. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Last Lent, Lee and I took on a new spiritual practice, which we borrowed from our Jewish siblings in faith. We practiced the Sabbath, Every Friday night at sundown, for six weeks, we put away all our electronics and clocks, including our cell phones, and we didn't touch them for 24 hours. We cooked and cleaned in advance, so that way we wouldn't participate in any work during the Sabbath whatsoever. We didn't drive or go anywhere our legs couldn't take us. 
We didn't spend a penny. We refrained from even thinking about work and our to-do lists as best we could. And instead, we rested. We prayed. We had long conversations and took leisurely walks. We napped. We laughed together. And this short Lenten practice opened up in me a spiritual well and depth. Those few Sabbath days helped healed me from thinking my life was only my work. They freed me from measuring my life in the number of productive hours in a given day. From this short practice, it became apparent to me why Rabbi Abraham Heschel once described the Sabbath as eternity in a moment, a kind of vision of paradise that we can experience here in our temporal realm. The Sabbath offered me a new way of spending my day without a way to tell time, at least our measured nuclear time, I relied on cues from the sky and from my body for when to eat, when to sleep, when to walk. Without being able to chat about work or class, Lee and I had to dig deeper for topics of conversation, and we tended to things that mattered more deeply in our lives than our, the next item on our to-do list. Without the distraction of my phone or a laptop for entertainment, I found delight in old books I used to love, and I focused more keenly on board games that I played with people I loved. And in this milieu of rest and focus, gratefulness bubbled up to the surface for me. Prayer seemed to flow from both of us naturally. When my world got just a little slower and just a little quieter, I could see so much more clearly how it was that God was moving in my life. For me, it was truly a taste of paradise, and it has changed my faith even to this day. And yet, in the midst of our Sabbath practice, I found that there was one persistent distraction from that peace, which was otherwise so obvious. I knew that I could access this rest and this bliss when so many people so close to me could not. While I enjoyed leisurely walks down the streets in Hyde Park, I knew that mere miles from me in Washington Park or Cottage Grove, they were families who could not let their children play outside for fear of gun violence. While I enjoyed the luxury of days off every week, I knew that all over Chicago, the working poor are seen as more tool than human to their employers who treat them as mere tools to make money. It is an issue of justice that some of us are given safe places to rest while the poor in our own midst are exploited and made vulnerable. In light of this, the Sabbath is political reminding its practitioners that if we are to take this spiritual discipline seriously, we better recognize that the poor are owed nothing less. And this is the claim of our reading from Isaiah today. The writers of Isaiah advocated for a Sabbath practice with teeth, one that had no room for exploitation. For the writers of Isaiah, part and parcel of the Sabbath practice was feeding the hungry and satisfying the needs of the afflicted, because God does not desire peace for only some of us, but for all of us. The Jewish practice of the Sabbath is radical, even as its practice is sometimes complicated by injustice. 
At its core, it is a radically life-altering practice, one which makes no qualms about saying that each person is greater than her economic contribution. And it doesn't stop there. When we read the Hebrew scriptures, we see that part of the radical nature of practicing the Sabbath is that it affirms all life, not just human life. Elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, it's not just human animals who are endowed with such high value, but all life. In the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, it is made clear again and again that even the soil is given a Sabbath year and that even farmed animals have time off from their labor. The Sabbath is for the oppressed, whether it be the human poor and downtrodden or the earth itself not just for those of us human animals who can afford the luxury of time off. No life, whether it be animal life, plant life, or the life of ecosystems as a whole, is valuable because it is useful. Rather, life is sacred because it comes from God. Every living thing on this planet derives its value from the same source, from God. You and me and the plants emerging from the soil and every animal on earth and in water, each of us, each of us shares that we are created and each of us shares a need for rest. And always, that rest is a divine gift from God. And it is in the Sabbath that we come to know that our life is valuable because it comes from God, not because it can be used as a tool by others. But not all of us can access this promise of the Sabbath. The human poor suffer because their lives are not valued as they ought to be. And likewise, the earth suffers because we do not value the life of our planet. It is an injustice that we treat our land and air and water as mere tools, and that we forget the lives and interests of non-human animals along the way. We degrade and devalue the life of our entire earth when we treat it as a tool. The writers of Isaiah knew that justice for people and justice for the planet are deeply connected. Our lands are parched. Our ancient ruins are our prairies and forests. Our streets are unlivable because of the climate crisis. And as a result of this man-made climate crisis, we see an increase in drought, in hunger, in the afflicted the world over. Injustice against the earth and injustice against humans goes hand in hand. And I don't know about you, but when I've read the news recently, it seems that the headlines about the climate crisis always seem to be getting scarier, more urgent, and more frequent. Climate refugees seeking homes, entire nations like South Africa and India running out of water, drought in Yemen, Somalia, and Sudan, extreme flooding closer to home in Iowa and Texas, and Anchorage temperatures soaring for the first time over 90 degrees. And this week, I read about the burning of this Amazon rainforest, and my heart breaks to know that it is being burnt for agriculture and logging so that we might enjoy meat and fine hardwoods. Or I think of the Endangered Species Act, which was gutted just two short weeks ago, this act, which has protected fragile ecosystems and species since 1973, was gutted to give short-term monetary benefits to oil, gas, and other private industries. 
we, especially as Western people who consume an excess of the Earth's resources, are sacrificing the life of the entire planet on the altar of wealth and our own interests. And let's not parse words here. It is sinful to put our economic interests over the life of the planet. We have taken the Sabbath and trampled it. We have gone our own way and served our own interests and pursued our own affairs instead of taking delight in God, in this world which God created in love. And I've often found myself wondering where God is in the climate crisis. Where can we as Christians possibly find any gospel, any good news about the climate? Frankly, the climate crisis scares me. And I've often found myself feeling hopeless whenever those headlines come across my phone or my laptop or when I see the climate extremes with my own eyes in my own backyard. And so this Isaiah reading came to me like a sweet gift, giving me hints of how God might be moving even as the reality of the climate crisis makes itself known to us, even as the Amazon is burning, even as we are in the midst of a mass extinction. Because Isaiah reminds us that even in the deepest night, even in the heaviest gloom, the Lord will guide us continually and satisfy this world in all its parched places and make us strong enough to face the challenges we see. Isaiah reminds us that God desires for us to be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. And though our lands are parched, and our bodies are weakened by pollution and drought, though we find our ancient treasures in jeopardy and our streets increasingly unlivable, God has not abandoned us. And Isaiah suggests that the Sabbath might be one way we can learn to have a just relationship with the earth once more. The earth needs a Sabbath. The land on which we live, the waterways on which we depend, the air we all breathe, the animals who are our neighbors, they need a Sabbath. They need a Sabbath from us using them as mere tools to our own ends. And so what if we took Isaiah seriously? What might happen if we gave the earth the rest it needs? What are the possibilities if we begin to treat non-human life as valuable in its own right? What would we change if we began to see all life as sacred, as a gift from God, rather than as a means to what we want? Perhaps then our parched lands would be satisfied and our bodies made strong again. Perhaps this paradise might once more resemble a watered garden, a spring of water whose waters never fail. Perhaps our ancient forests and prairies would find regrowth and animals would find their ancient homes hospitable once more. Perhaps the foundations of our future generations would be restored. Even amid the climate crisis, I believe, I have to believe that God's promises remain true. And I cling to the promise of resurrection, not just for humans, not just for us, but for all the earth and all its inhabitants, which God created and redeemed. And so I cling to this promise of the Sabbath in Isaiah, the promises to which this prophet witnessed. We must begin to think, as Isaiah warns, 
beyond our own interests and to stop pursuing our own affairs at the expense of all other life. And yet I know that the Sabbath is not a passive practice. Though it is about rest, it is not about doing nothing. When Lee and I practiced the Sabbath, it required mindful effort. It required effort in planning to cook and clean ahead of time. It required effort to refrain from thinking about work or talking about our to-do lists because those things were easier. They were the things we were accustomed to doing already. And that effort, doing the thing that wasn't as easy, did give us blessing upon blessing, but it was still an effort. And sometimes it was difficult. And just so, a Sabbath for the earth will, will require effort and intentionality on our parts. Even as we must cling to God's promises for renewal and trust that those promises are good, we must also be willing to become active participants in those promises, active participants in that watered garden. And so rather than seeing the Amazon as a fertile place on which we might find some mahogany and raise a lot of cattle, we must begin to see it as an entity with value and rights greater than the sum of its parts. Rather than seeing endangered species as a roadblock to our economic prospects, we must begin to truly see the animals we share this planet with as our neighbors, with their own interests and their own rights. In short, we must stop using creation as a means to our own ends, and we must begin to advocate for justice for the whole earth. The Sabbath requires nothing less of us. In the three short months I've been at First Congregational so far, I have already come to know about the passion that this congregation has for justice. I have heard so many stories of the way that this congregation advocated for pads when no one else would. I have heard about y'all's participation in DuPage United and that y'all show up in force at school board meetings for trans youth. I have spoken to Sister Donna at Precious Blood Ministries, and she has told me about how much this congregation has done for those dealing with the repercussions of gun violence. I am proud to be part of this congregation because I know it has a vision for what a more just community looks like in Glen Ellen and beyond. But if we limit our ideas of justice to only justice for humans, we have missed out on what true peace and true justice really looks like. Isaiah reminds us that justice is about more than human beings. Peace is only peace if the whole earth receives it, and justice is only justice if every ecosystem knows it. This passage of Isaiah sp speaks hope in the midst of our climate crisis today. And it allows me to imagine what promises for the future could hold if we are willing to become active participants in those promises. I imagine a world where the Sabbath is available for all of us, human and non-human alike. I imagine a world where we put aside our money books and our busyness, not only for our own well-being, but for the well-being of the forests and the prairies and Lake Michigan, and all the airways on which we depend. And in this Sabbath, I imagine a peace which allows the whole creation to know paradise today as a stream of running water in a parched place. 
heaven on earth. And in the Sabbath, I imagine a justice which takes seriously the value of life for every living being. Amen.